0: We are, you know, this is a special morning. We don't normally have a kids' choir up here, but I'm so glad you could be with us. Um, and we're starting today a series on Christmas and family. And so I don't know if you notice, too, in the, in the lobby or out here, out through these doors, there's actually a photo booth set up with Christmas trees. And so if you want to you grab your kids or just grab your family members, grab your friends, take a picture out there, please do so. And if you share it on Facebook or Instagram with hashtag BereanFamily, you might have a chance to win a prize, all right, so for the, the best friendly picture. Dave Hanna, you're not allowed to compete, all right, so uh, that, that wouldn't be fair. So. But, you know, we're excited to enter into this idea of what does it mean for Jesus to enter into our lives and, and our family and our church this Christmas? What does that mean? And, and have we, today we're going to look at this idea of have we prepared him room have we prepared him room? And I, I invite you to invite some friends or family. I know some of you did that today just because, you know, the kids were a great draw. But come out next Sunday and Christmas Eve as we look at this idea of Christmas and family. And I believe that God desires us to make room for us, make room for him in our lives this Christmas. Um, before I jump in, though, I, I want to see and if maybe you've ever experienced something like this.
1: All right, folks, welcome back to the 2019 Festival featuring the Ohio State Buckeyes and Clemson Tigers. The Buckeyes find themselves in a bit of a hole, down three, with just under a minute remaining in the game. But they've been driving. They got the ball first and 10 on the Clemson 35-yard line. Ryan Day has his offense ready to take the field. The offense is set. Fields takes the snap, hands off to Dobbins. He finds a hole on the right side. Mix one miss and then is brought down at the 31 for a gain of four yards. Pizza! Pizza! <laughs> <laughs> Time is a factor now, only 30 seconds remaining, second and six on the 31. Fields in the backfield with Dobbins. He's got two receivers to his left, one to the right. He takes the snap, drops back. He's under pressure, and he's brought down for a five-yard loss, a sack by the Clemson defense. (laughs) Third and 11 now for the Buckeyes. Offense is set. Fields in the backfield with Dobbins. Two receivers either side. Fields takes a snap, drops back. Good protection this time. He's got a man down the left-hand side. He lets it fly, and that ball is caught. Touchdown, Buckeyes! (laughs) Looks like the previous play is under review. Did Benjamin Victor have control of the ball before he went out of bounds? The referees are conferring. And here's the call from the head referee. That play is going to be overturned. Incomplete pass. This brings up fourth down for the Buckeyes. Only three seconds remaining in the game. This is gonna be the last play. Field goal unit is ready on the sideline, but it's a long one, 52 yards from here. And it looks like Ryan Day is gonna keep his offense on the field. The Buckeyes are going for the win. Oh, oh. Offense is set. Fields and Dobbins <laughs> in the background, in the backfield. Three receivers to the right, one to the left. Fields takes a snap, drops back. He's under pressure. He dumps it off to Dobbins. Dobbins has room on the right side. He's to the 30, the 25, the 20. He makes a defender miss. He's to the 15, the 10, breaks a tackle. He's into the end zone. Touchdown, J.K. Dobbins. The Buckeyes win and are headed to the national championship game.
0: I don't know if you've ever felt like Mikey, that you were a little left out. Maybe uh, that no one prepared room for you. Maybe you went to a movie one time, you know, with four or five people, and you came a little late, and there's only three seats together, and they're like, oh, and everyone jumps in, and you're just like, oh, oh, what about me? And you end up watching a whole movie by yourself. And, and in that moment, we feel a little left out, don't we? And I think at the same way, there's a danger that we fail to prepare room for Jesus in our lives. You know, and I think we actually are at times guilty of not making room for him. I think we're especially susceptible to this, even in the Christmas season, which, you know, you know, Jesus is, you know, the reason for the season. It's all about Christ in the manger. But in the midst of the busyness, the shopping, the wrapping, the decorating, family events, musicals, you feel like your to-do this is full, and Jesus quickly becomes an afterthought, doesn't he? A quick prayer before a meal, or maybe, oh, well, we got to do the, we got to tell the Christmas story right before. Okay, presents. Presents. And Jesus, we haven't really made room for Jesus. And this can frankly be a danger in our lives all the time, can't it? And sometimes Christmas is like just reawakening. Oh yeah, we, we need to be concerned about Jesus. And how have you made Jesus part of your life? See, I think we're in danger of failing, of failing to make room for Jesus. And what I'd love for us to explore this morning is this idea of preparing him room. If you know the song, Joy to the World, it says, let every heart prepare him room. And I want to challenge us this morning together. Are we preparing room for Christ to work in our lives, in our families, and in our church? It's no coincidence that Jesus intentionally showed up in a family in the Christmas story. Did you ever think about that? God could have incarnated himself maybe in a lot of ways, but what he chose to do was to arrive in a family. Arrive with a mother and a dad, Mary and Joseph. God intentionally orchestrated that the incarnation of Jesus would happen in a family. If you start to, stop to think how remarkable that is, that God entered the world as a baby, just like you and me. Just like you and me. God entered the world just like us. And what I want to do this morning is look briefly at some qualities of a family that God found Himself willing to enter. God chose to manifest manifest Himself through His Son into the family of Mary and Joseph. Why did He choose them? Did you ever ask yourself that? Why did He choose Mary and Joseph? Now, first of all, before we get into this, I want to say that. There's nothing that we can do to earn God's favor in our lives. God's working is always and only an outpouring of his undeserved favor. There's nothing we can do to stack the deck so God has to show up. And maybe maybe right now in your life, whatever you're going through, you're saying, man, we really need God to come through here. And there's no boxes that you can check to do this that you can accomplish to make God do his work in our lives. But... Mary and Joseph had individually and together, I think, postured themselves in such a way that they were willing to be used. And I think this is what God wants for us this morning, that we would make room in our hearts and our home and our church for Jesus. Because I think that Mary and Joseph had done so long before Jesus had arrived. And so we're going to look at that this morning. I I believe God wants us to prepare room for Jesus to work now. And, And just as a note, where we are as a church in this moment, Last week, we voted in a new lead pastor. And for many of us, it's like that is a sense of hope and expectation. And God, we want you to work, but we need to ask ourselves, have we prepared him room to work here as a church, as a body, and as families and individuals? So let's pray before we jump into this. God, we need you to work in our hearts this morning. We believe every good and perfect gift comes from you. And so, Father of Lights, would you... Show yourself to us. Lord, would you reveal in our hearts those things that displease you? And God, would we seek to live for your glory and your pleasure, for our good? Lord, use me and my words this morning, and may I speak faithfully to your word, and may your word have an effect in our hearts. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen, amen. Okay, so what does it mean to prepare room for Jesus in our lives? What does that look like? How do you do that? How do you prepare room in your lives for God to work, to move? Well, first of all, I think in Mary, the mother of Jesus, we can see that she had an authentic faith. Okay, we're going to be in Luke 1, chapter 1, verses 26 to 45. God desires our families to be places that express authentic faith, authentic faith. I think we see this most vividly in Mary's encounter with the angel Gabriel in Luke 1, starting in verse 26 and following. And I'm going to read these. If you want to follow along in your own Bible, that'd be awesome. Pull out on your phone. Verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, and of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And she was greatly troubled at this saying, right? Okay, no joke. I don't know if you knew this, but every time an angel appears in Scripture, the reaction of the person that's there or people is almost always fear. They're almost always trembling, afraid. They're covering themselves or down their knees, falling on their faces, okay? And we don't know exactly why that is. We know that angels are typically in the presence of God, and it could be that that just leaves a mark. It could be how God has created angels, that they're a little intimidating. But for whatever reason... It you know it had a little bit of effect on Mary, and I think it would be for me and you as well. And so she was greatly troubled at the saying, and says and tried to discern what kind of greeting is this might be. That's a an easy way of saying it. what what's going on here, right? What what is happening? Verse thirty, and the angel said to her, "Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear, bear a son." And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom, of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And look here at verse 38. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That's Mary's response. Let's be honest for a second. Would that be your response hearing what Mary just heard? Okay, I'm not sure if that would be where I would go right away. Let this, I'm your servant, let it be to me according to your word. Okay, not, not oh, we'll see if it all works out, or okay, you know, a little lip service. Mary doesn't just pay lip service. If she genuinely believes that what this messenger from God has said is true. I am the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Okay, if this is what our direct, student director, Matt, if this was him, it would be like, let's go. That's what he always says. Let's go. Whatever you say, I'm in. Do you see that response? She's ready for what the Lord wants to do in her life. Faith listens and believes the voice of God. It listens and believes the word of God. Okay, this looks like us in our churches and families prioritizing the word of God in our lives. When you read a passage of scripture and it convicts you, it points you towards what you should do or who you should be, is that your response? Let it be so. Let it be to me according to this word. Do we respond in that same way? Do we trust what God has said in his word? I was talking with a student a few weeks ago, and he was going through some really difficult times, really struggling to relate to his parents. Um, He'd blown up on his mom several times, was, was disobeying in just some just directly disobeying in some real tangible ways. And I was talking with him, and I said, do you really want to do what God wants you to do? And he's like, yeah, I do, Phil. And I believe me. I I do. I want to do what God wants me to do. And I said, "Well, well, what do you think God wants you to do? He said, I don't know. I don't know. And I said, well, how would you know what God wants you to do? And he said, well, you know, I don't know. Sometimes God speaks to me. I was like, okay, well, well, when does he speak to you? When does he speak to you? And he said, well, you know, when I'm with my friends. I was like, okay. Is that like things that they say that really resonate in your heart? And he's like, no, no, I just feel things, and I think it's God speaking to me. I was like, okay. And I was like, well, let's try this. Well, do you hear God speak to you when like Phil or Matt are preaching in student ministry? And he said, no, 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 no. Yeah, and I try not to take that personally. Okay, uh, yeah, you know, okay, just you know, trying to poke her face. Yeah, that's it. Well, I'm not God, so I guess that's fair enough. And I said, Well, what about when you read the Bible? Like, and we'd already talked before about how we didn't like to read the Bible at all, it's boring. And, and I said, What about when you read God's Word? And I said, Does He speak to you then? No, 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 never do never that. And I said, Well, you know what? I said, You know how go- I think God wants to speak to you right now? I think he has something he wants to say. He's like, he's like you know, what, 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 what? I said, I think he speaks always through his word. He has spoken. And I said, and I think I could tell you right now some things God wants to say to you. He's like, whoa, really, really? I was like, yeah. I said, I said but I don't think you want to hear it. He's like, why would you say that? Why would you say that? I said, you'll see, you'll see. And I said, God says Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. And he's like, Oh, yeah, I'm not doing that. And I say, It also says that fits of rage or outbursts of anger are not a fruit of the Spirit. And if God's working in your life, you're not going to respond that way. It shows you're not being filled with the Spirit. You don't have self control. He you hung know, his head. You see, so often we look for God to speak to us, like, God, tell me what to do. You know, God, I, I want to know. But authentic faith says, God, I'm going to listen to what you have to say, and I'm going to believe it. I'm going to trust it. I'm going to act on it. Faith listens and believes the voice of God. We hear it, and we receive it. We hear it, and we receive it, because faith is trusting that God will do what he said he would do. Faith is trusting that God will do what he has said he will do, that God is faithful and true to his promises. We know from Hebrews 11, right? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to, to please God. Authentic faith, trust that what God has said he will do. And whether that be God providing for your family, you say, man, this Christmas is tight. I'm not even sure we're going to be able to afford presents, and you're just going through a hard time. Or maybe you have a significant need. You say, what has God said? He said, in Philippians 4, I will provide all your needs according to the riches in Christ Jesus. And you know in The church at Philippi was giving generously and leaning into faith. Paul knew that they were acting in faith in their lives. He said, you have nothing to worry about. God will provide for your needs. Do you believe that? Do you believe that when temptation comes? And God says, with every temptation, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, there is a way of escape. And I, I will be sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in my, your weakness. Do you believe that in faith? We need to be people of faith. Now notice here that the probable requires little faith, but the impossible requires a lot, right? In our lives, it's pretty easy to have faith when we feel like we've got our ducks in a row, when our are going pretty good, right? But what becomes more difficult in our lives is when we come across barriers or hurdles, we say, I don't think I can get through this. That's when faith needs to come in. When we have things, God, I don't know if, wh- how I can get through this. We have to lean into faith. Okay, when the Buckeyes are up 40 points, okay, you're not doing like, you know, I don't know, whatever that does. Right? You're, not like, you're, you're pretty good. You're like, oh, I can chill. But man, when it's coming down to the wire and you're trying to believe in your team and you're holding on, you're like, come on, we can do this. That's where you need to have a little faith. The same with God. When things become most difficult, that is when our faith is truly tested. That is when our faith is truly tested. And notice here, right? He said, look at Elizabeth, your relative. She's, she, everyone thought she was barren. She's older in age. And look, she's pregnant. Six months pregnant, everyone thought. And that was a promise that God had delivered on. Look at that. And, and guys, men, women, today, students, when we look at God's past faithfulness, it strengthens our present faith. And some of us have barriers right now, and we just feel, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Look to God's past faithfulness. Past victories can be a provision for our present faith. And I think about that in the context of Berean and where we are right now. And I think about for many of us who've been, and not me, but many of you who've been at Berean for decades, and you've seen God do amazing things in this place, in and through these people. And you think, okay, well, now we've got a new lead pastor. How's it going to work out? You know, is, it gonna, is this really the man God wanted? Is this going to be what God wants for us as a church? And it's easy to be filled with fear. But brothers and sisters, look back to God's faithfulness to us. What God has done in and through us in the past. The, the, the move of God that built this place. Don't you think that God wants to move in the future? When we need faith, look back to God's faithfulness. And then he says, because nothing will be impossible with God. Authentic faith steps in when things seem improbable; they seem unlikely. Notice also that faith does not respond with cynicism or doubt. Okay, Mary could have been like, "Yeah, I'll see it when I believe it. When I get that, uh, you know, when I get that pregnancy test, then I'll believe it." All right. She doesn't respond that way. She just says, "Let it be to me according to your word." Do you see the faith there? You see how that, even in the midst of difficulty, something seems impossible. We can trust that God will do what he has said. We can trust that God will do what he says. And, And maybe for you, you say, I know I'm supposed to love my kids. I know I'm supposed to be a good parent. You know, but have you seen my kids? You know, have you seen the kids that God's given me? Or maybe it's like in that marriage. Yeah, I'm supposed to be faithful in my marriage. Yeah, I'm supposed to, you know, love my wife but God wasn't talking about my wife in that situation, okay? Or, you know, at Christmas with your other related family, extended family, and it becomes difficult, we like to say, oh, my condition, my situation is different. We don't trust God to say, hey, use me in the midst of this. Use me in the midst of this. God wants to have a kind of radical faith that expects him to come through on his promises, no matter how unrealistic it may seem. That kind of authentic faith. Notice how Mary responds then. She gets this word from the angel from the Lord. What does Mary immediately do? It says in verse 39, In those days, Mary arose and went with haste. It wasn't like she was dragging her feet. It wasn't like, okay, well, let me get this, uh, you know, this pregnancy test, and then we're going to see what's going on. Let's wait and see where this lands. No, she goes with haste to see the other one that the angel talked about, Elizabeth. She goes immediately into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. She didn't hesitate She believed that what God had said he would do. She believed that what God has said he will do. And it says, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb Leaped for joy. And listen to this in verse 45. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Do you see that? Elizabeth sees Mary's faith. She can't, she can't deny it. She's like, Mary. You believed, it. okay, this is immediately, it's not like Mary was showing and pregnant. oh look, you know, you believe God, that, that's awesome. No, there was no evidence yet, and Elizabeth saw Mary's faith and she was inspired. And friends, authentic faith inspires others. Authentic faith inspires others. When we trust what God has said in faith, we inspire the faith of those in our lives. Elizabeth was inspired by Mary's faith. You know, parents, are your kids inspired by your faith? Do they say, you really believe that, Mom? You really believe that? Grandparents, as you spend time this Christmas with your grandchildren, you know, and and maybe some of your grandchildren aren't following Jesus, and they say, you really believe that Jesus was real? That, That Jesus rose from the dead? Do we inspire the faith of others? God wants us to have authentic faith that inspires others. He wants to use us To express authentic faith in our hearts and homes. Preparing room for Jesus this Christmas means cultivating a faith that trusts that what God has said, He will do. What God has said, He will do, even if it seems impossible. In the midst of the story, I think Mary shows another attitude that I think creates an environment where Jesus can work. So we have authentic faith, but I think Mary also makes room for Jesus by showing selfless humility. Selfless humility. I think we see this most in what she, how she immediately responds right after Elizabeth kind of commends her faith. She does and, and opens up this hymn that is just this beautiful picture of her heart. Okay, it's one of the most beautiful songs, I think, in Scripture. But she has not only this authentic faith that believes what God will do what he says, but she has this selfless humility that says, you know what, God, I'm here for you to use. Okay, selfless humility means that there, we believe that there's nothing we can do To deserve Jesus' presence in our lives. Humility says there's nothing I can do to deserve Jesus' presence in my life. Mary's response wasn't, oh, okay, yeah, of course, Jesus chose me, to, or God chose me to reveal the Son of Man. Yeah, I would be be the one. I've been so holy and like Christ. No, that is a self-righteousness. Mary postures herself in humility, selfless humility. Thankful and and really overwhelmed that God would choose to work in her. Making room for Jesus is not so much about becoming worthy for God to use as it is being humbly available for God to use and totally aware of our unworthiness for God to use. At the heart of the Christmas story is the reality that God's not looking for a special family to work in. He's looking for a willing and humble family who's prepared him room. God, here we are. We're not much, but we want you to use us. You can look at verse 46 and following, where, where she shares this beautiful song. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on what? The humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, not because she's so perfect Not because Mary was so special, but because God chose to show and reveal his grace and mercy to her through the Son of Man. In the same way, guys, men, women, we we are, need to posture ourselves in a humility that says, God, anything you do in my life is a work of your grace. Verse 50, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those, what, of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he's sent away empty. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Do you see? It's all an attitude of praise and thanksgiving for what God has done in her life. Humility is realizing that I have nothing to offer God. Mary acknowledges twice her humble state. Lord, I was just here, and you used me. I was just here, willing to be used, and you showed up. She refers to herself as a servant in verse 48. Remember, that was her first response to the angel. I am the Lord's servant. And she describes God's actions in her life and in the life of God's people as an act of mercy. What kind of people are we? Do we think we actually deserve that God use us and work in our lives? You know, at times I think we stumble into that. We think, man, if I could just, you know, cross the T's and dot the I's in my spiritual life, if I spend time with the Lord, that yeah, of course his blessings will come in abundance. But Mary understood that every movement of God in her life was a work of grace. We know from James 4, 6 that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In our families, if we want to prepare him room, we need to resist arrogance and self-righteousness. You know, a good test of how self-righteous we may be is how do we respond, how do we see others who maybe are more in need of God's grace than we think we are? Do you actually see others in your life as more in need of God's grace? Man, maybe you have a relative you're about to spend Christmas with and you're a little, oh man, they need Jesus, let me tell you. Do we have that attitude towards others instead of awareness of our own need for God's grace in our lives? God wants to see that kind of selfless humility. Arrogance and pride say, God will definitely do some amazing stuff in our family. We deserve this. But a selfless humility says, we're just recipients of grace. You know, my, my parents have modeled this for us for a while. You know, it, it's a blessing from God that like me and my sister, my brother, and our families are walking with the Lord and raising up our kids in the Lord. We're plugged into churches. We've all served in ministry in different areas. And that's just a grace of God. And I've I've been in several situations where my parents are like, you know, being affirmed for that. Like, oh, that's so good. You know, God's really blessed you. And every time they've redirected and said, it's only by God's grace. And a lot of prayer, especially for Phil. (laughs) It's only by God's grace. That's an attitude that God wants to see. If we want to prepare Him room, we say, God, use me, use me. I'm not, I don't deserve it, but I'm willing and ready to be used. If we want Jesus to show up in our families, in our lives, and in our church, we need to posture ourselves in a place of humble and selfless need. God, we need you. Lord, I need you. I need you. Every hour I need you. I can't do this by myself in church. As we enter into this new season with Pastor Dan Krause, right, let's us have that attitude. God, we don't need Pastor Dan. We need you to show up. We need dependence on God to be our Savior and our Lord as we support and follow Pastor Dan, right? God, we want to see you move in our midst. We need to resist a self-sufficiency that only uses God as an add-on, like a prayer before a meal, or just this aspect of our lives. We need to posture ourselves in humility so that others don't think of us as self-righteous, perfect Christians, but sinners saved by grace. How do we respond when people come in into our church, into our, into our home, who need grace? Do we respond with our noses in the air? Or do we see them as someone, man, but for grace, so would I be. Jesus said in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, I think what we see here is a spiritual poverty, a spiritual poverty in Mary that says, I've got nothing, but Jesus, God is blessing me and I'm just going to praise him. Her only response is worship. And what does Jesus say in Luke 14, 11? Those who humble themselves will be exalted. And that's what God was doing in the life of Mary. He found a humble, willing servant. But I don't think Mary was alone in preparing room for Christ. As we bring this message to the close, I want to look quickly at Joseph. And if you turn your Bible over to Matthew chapter 1, I want to see real quick, what is his response? What did Joseph do to prepare room for Christ to work in his life? To Jesus, to show, for Jesus to show up in his life. In Matthew chapter 1, I think we see clearly the third quality that God desires in us. And in our families, and in our church, is that we embody sacrificial obedience sacrificial obedience. Okay, so this is the situation. Joseph's there. Um, He he finds out that Mary's pregnant. He was betrothed to Mary. Hebrew engagement was kind of like our engagement. It was called betrothal, but it was was a little more serious. It was committed. It was going to happen. They were committed. It was like an arranged marriage. This is going to happen. But there were certain things that could happen within the betrothal period that could cut off the marriage from happening. Okay, one of those things, obviously, would be adultery, and the best way that's expressed is through pregnancy. And so here's Joseph, and he finds out Mary is pregnant, and he could have brought her before the legal authorities and had her punished for this. She dis- disobeyed a- dishonored him and-, and disobeyed the law. And so- but instead, it'd be him being a-, a gracious man, he was going to let her go away quietly. He said, okay, I- I'm going to divorce you quietly. This, w- this won't happen. But, but I'm not going to, you know, rub your, roll or drag your sins through the streets. And then an angel appears to him. So he's about to do that. An angel appears to him in verse 20, Matthew 1, verse 20. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, look at this in verse 24. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, and he knew her not until she'd given birth to a son. And when they did, he called his name Jesus. See, Joseph responds with sacrificial obedience. All right? He was... Agreeing to marry Mary was throwing his reputation out on the streets. Okay, Mary in that culture would have been completely dishonored. And there would be gossip all over. This was a small town, all right? Everyone knew everyone. People would talk. And he would sacrifice his reputation as a man, as a leader, as a follower of God, but when God spoke, he was willing to do it sacrificially. In John 8:41, we know this was talks. Jesus is being accused by the Pharisees, and they say, We are not illegitimate children like you, Jesus. This had been a consistent, that was 30 years into his life, this was still the story they were telling about this Mary who had been unfaithful and had this child out of wedlock. Joseph willingly embraced that he laid his reputation on the line in sacrificial obedience because God had told him to. He put a target on his back. We know that Herod wanted to kill him. And what they had to do, the angel came to him again and said, you need to flee to Egypt. And what did he do? He responded with obedience. Okay, if that was me, I'd be like, ah, can we go back to Nazareth? Would that be okay? Okay. You know, how about just up to Galilee? I've got some family up in Galilee. That might be easier. But he said, no, what God says I will do, even though it's going to cost me a lot of money. Thankfully, they had some gifts. Maybe they helped provide for that recently. You know, maybe it's going to take me out of where I can work because I don't have any relationships and I'm a laborer and now I won't be able to provide for my family. But God, what you say, I will do. God, what you say, I will will do following jesus is not always easy it requires sacrificial obedience and in our lives if we want to see god work we need to respond in sacrificial obedience see authentic faith is trusting that what god has said he will do but sacrificial obedience is obeying what god has said no matter the consequence no matter the consequence and we don't like to suffer do we it's hard jesus said A call to follow me is a call to suffer. Luke 9, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Why? For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Luke 9, 23 and 24. God wants us to exhibit sacrificial obedience in our lives and in our families. How are you doing? How are we doing? Okay, even if it costs us our reputation, even if it costs us finances, maybe it disrupts our comfort or our sense of normalcy. But when God says, come in, we don't just believe it, we believe what God has said and we trust that he will do it. We obey even if it costs us sacrifice. My coach at Liberty University, when I ran track there. Was, his name was Lance Bingham, awesome guy, really spiritual man who was more than just a track coach. He led a Bible study in his basement every week for the track team. And not everyone had to. It wasn't required, but they could go if they wanted to. And he'd invite us into his home, and there's always food, so I was there normally, right? And we'd go in, and we'd go out in the basement and hang out with Coach Bingham, and we would just do a different Bible study. We'd do video series and study through a book of the Bible. And, and I, was, I was so impressed to see him and his family. And he was more than just a great coach, and he's a phenomenal coach. He was a great man of God, and I saw that in his family. His kids loved the Lord. He loved his wife well. He loved his kids well. Well, his daughter goes and marries this guy, and a strong Christian guy, and they feel led to a Middle Eastern country, a closed country, to, to be missionaries. And, you know, if, if for many of us who maybe are parents, it's just like, oh, well, how about Florida or how about Canada? They need Jesus, right? You know? But instead, it's like, he got behind. No. If God calls, it will go, even if it sacrifices us, our family. They, they end up in, in this Middle Eastern country, and, and, they're, and this is not a you know, first world country. There's an impoverished place, not as much access to medical care and different things. They have a child. They have a baby. Before that baby is too old, there's some serious medical complications. And it got so serious, and the access to care was so poor that they actually had to medevac them out of that country to try to go into a European country where they could get better care. The baby died in Ruth. And at the funeral for the baby, you know, back in the States, you know, they shared about how what God has called us to do, we will do. And they played a song by Shane and Shane called Though You Slay Me. And that song goes, though you slay me, still I will follow you. See, because what God had called them to do, they were willing to do, no matter the cost or consequence. And, and, you know, and parents in here, you know, I hope you know, I'm praying that God raises up from our students missionaries who go to the, the ends of the earth to take the gospel of Jesus Christ, no matter the cost, no matter the cost, that the nations would be glad. We bring glory to our Lord. We make disciples of all nations. And there will be a cost in this life for that. And I hope we as a church and as families get behind that and say, Yes! Yes! I'm willing to sacrificially obey for the glory of God and our good. Because this world is not all there is. We live for something beyond it. That's what God is calling us to, is sacrificial obedience. Have you prepared him room? Have you prepared him room? Obedience for us this Christmas could look like leveraging Christmas as an opportunity to talk about Jesus with family members or friends, okay? Jesus is on a lot of people's minds right now. Are you gonna, it might cost you your reputation. It might feel a little awkward at times and maybe you've been through that discussion five, 10, 15 times and it never went well. Well, prayerfully lean and say, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to share your love with this person? Maybe it means pulling back a little bit on what you give those close to you who really don't need much, and you're going to sacrificially give to someone who has a great need. Maybe that's what God is leading you to do. We need to sacrificially obey Christ if we want to prepare Him. I want to ask us, does Jesus have a seat at our table this Christmas? Have we prepared Him Room? Are we embracing authentic faith that believes that God, what God has said, He will do? Are we characterized by selfless humility that realizes that we are just in a place of spiritual poverty and need of God to move in us and we're just willing and available? And are we walking a life of sacrificial obedience that gives God your yes, whatever He asks? If I think if we individually And as families and as a church embraced this way of life, this way modeled by Mary and Joseph, I think we would prepare him room to do amazing things. I think we would. And that's what we want to see. There's a D.L. Moody quote that kind of ended up encapsulating his ministry that he heard from actually a friend that told him this and he used it. The world is yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to him. And I want to alter this a bit as a challenge to us. The world is yet to see What God will do with a family or church that is fully consecrated to him. Let us be that church. Let us be that kind of people. I hope your family is that kind of family. A family that prepares him room. Amen? Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for your goodness and your grace to us even this morning. As we just look back on Mary and Joseph and your arrival, your advent into our world. God, you made a way for us back to you. And for that, Lord, may we be forever thankful and grateful for your grace. And Lord, I pray that we would prepare room for you. And Lord, I I realize you don't even just want a seat at the table. You want the whole table. And so, God, would we offer ourselves completely to you? God, would we have a strong, authentic faith to believe that what you've said you will do? Lord, would we always posture ourselves in humility as recipients of grace, and may we sacrificially obey when you call us to. And Lord, would you use us in great and mighty ways for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Merry Christmas. Thanks for being with us. Hope to see you next week.